right, let's open as we look at the, the word. Lord, we just thank you for this time of worshiping you in song. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and we have our baptism to follow. And we just thank you for your love and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been doing the last two weeks about what is baptism, why we are baptized. And we want to show one of the examples of baptism in Acts chapter 8, starting at verse uh, 26. I'm going to read a pretty large section of this uh, chapter. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is, in, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of, Ethio of the Ethiopians, who had been charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran to him and, and heard him read from the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand you what you are reading? And he said, How can I except a man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place in scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened him he not his mouth. For his, in his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his, his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you of whom speaks the prophet, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a, certain, to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both of them, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip out of the that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotos, and passing through, he preached to in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So we read this whole section of Philip baptizing the eunuch. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing. Philip was already had a very good ministry up in Samaria. He was winning souls, converts, and and teaching them about Jesus and everything. And God, the Spirit came and said, I want you to leave what you're doing right now and go to this road in the middle of the desert. Now, there were two roads from Jerusalem that led to Gaza. One went west to the, to the Mediterranean, then follow, went south following the Mediterranean. It was the easier, the cooler, the nicer way to go. The way that this describes here was the southern route that went through the wilderness <laughs> straight to the south and then went to Gaza, which was over on the Mediterranean. And so we're giving you this so you have some kind of picture of where we're at. We know the road. The road is very famous road. It's still actually out there and now it's you know, paved over, but it's still on that same path. So Philip was told by the angel of God, there's somebody you need to go talk to on this road. How many times has God in our life told us to do something that makes no sense to us whatsoever? Okay, Philip, you have a very successful ministry here, but I want you to go spend some time. It's going to take you, it's going to take him about a, you know, a week to get there and a week to get back if nothing else happens to him. Okay, I want you to take two, at least two weeks to a month and you're going to go witness, you know, and, you're, and he wasn't even told what he's doing. Just go to the road 
that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza in the desert. He's not even told why he's going there. I think it's amazing that he went there to see one person. One person. How much does God love each one of us? Enough to take somebody and say, I want you to teach, talk to that one person. One person on the road that he was going to talk to. Now, from a human point of view, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm leaving a church. <laughs> God, I'm leading this church. I'm teaching them all about you. People are getting saved. They're being baptized. Why? You know, even afterwards, he's probably saying, God, all that for one person? My thought is, though, what is the value of one soul? It's actually up in my office, up on a piece of paper. What is the value of one soul? This is important for us to remember when we think we're doing something that has no significance, talking to somebody about Jesus, sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony, that one soul may end up in heaven that may not have ever had anybody else talk to them. Peter ends up in this desert and along comes an Ethiopian eunuch coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem. This tells us something very important about this Ethiopian eunuch. He was a Jew. Now, whether he was born Jew or was a proselyte, which means he changed into Judaism, we don't know. All right? We do know that in the Bible, there are lots of places where Jews end up in foreign courts in charge of people. Two big cases, Joseph and Daniel. We can look at Nehemiah was one of those. You know, number of people that God touched and blessed and they got into authority. So he might have been a Jew that had been there since who knows how long back during, and just stayed in Ethiopia and had raised into power. He may have just said Judaism's the right thing, I'm converting to Judaism. But regardless, he had gone to Jerusalem. Why was he in Jerusalem? Pentecost had just happened. All right. At this point in time, Pentecost had just happened which tells us this is just slightly more than 50 days after Jesus' resurrection that this event is happening because Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. So we know that he is there with him shortly after Pentecost. You know, we know it's a couple weeks to a month afterwards because the church is growing and all these things. But he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. And God says, go up to him and listen to him. And what is he reading? He's reading from Isaiah 53. Now, it doesn't tell us Isaiah 53, but if you know that Isaiah 53, you know that these verses come from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a Messianic prophecy that talks about the Messiah coming and dying for the people and being beat and suffering for the people and taking on their sins willingly and completely. And this is what Philip gets the pleasure of telling this Ethiopian eunuch or this Jewish uh, person that's headed back home gets to tell them all about Jesus. You know, gets to remind them that we are sinners. And this is something that is so critical for us to understand. The first step of knowing that you need a savior is knowing that you are a sinner and that sinners go to hell. And every single person is a sinner. All right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and then the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Philip gets to tell him, well, all sinners go to hell. But there's a gift. 
This Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived a perfect life. Now we know how hard that is in and of itself because none of us have come close to living a perfect life. You know, even when we start getting sanctified, we still don't come close to living a perfect life. And Jesus lived a perfect life. No sin. And we've got to, I want to expand sin for you. Sin is not just what we do. All right? It isn't the things that we do that are necessarily just sin. It's not even the things that we don't do necessarily, because that's the sin of omission. There's things we know we're supposed to do and we don't do that, which is sin. But I love it that the Child Evangelism Fellowship's definition to the kids of sin is anything I think, say, or do against God. Anything I think, say, or do. That's what Jesus brought it to us. Now, you have heard it said, Jesus said, you shall love your, uh, hate your enemy, uh, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. And do, you know, but I say you love your enemies. <laughs> do good to them. You know, he said, if you have had a lustful thought, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you're angry with a brother for no reason, no valid reason, let's put it that way. <laughs> we get angry for, for all kinds of reasons, but usually it's because my feelings were hurt. I, I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm mad at them. There is a time for, for righteous anger. God has righteous anger. Most of us human beings do not have righteous anger very often. And I've said it this way, if you're angry about something that happened to you, it's probably not righteous anger. You're, you're upset that your pride got hurt. They didn't treat you the way you think you deserved. Now, you might be able to give, have righteous anger in your, you know, when you're angry about something done to somebody else, but you still have to be careful not to cross the line into unrighteous activity. But, you know, just thinking things, as far as God's concerned, is sin. Now, that puts us all in a pretty bad place because you might be able to get it to where I look pretty good to everybody. You know, I look good to you. I, I haven't lost my temper in months or years. I haven't told a lie in months or years. I haven't committed a theft or an adulterous action. But boy, if you just knew what I thought, you know, that would change it all together. And that is literally what God says. We are all guilty. Even if we look good to everybody else, we're guilty. And this is the message he's sharing with the Ethiopian eunuch who's obviously wanting to find God. And he's looking here and he's saying, I'm following all these rituals. I'm going, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm giving my sacrifices. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. But I'm still not there with God. And this is something that's critical. I have known people over the years that have gone to church all their life. They have read their Bibles but they don't know God. It's all just ritual. It's Sunday morning, got to go to church. And believe me, I want people to come to church. <laughs> you know, we need to hear the word of God preached and taught, and we need the fellowship of one another. But coming to church does not make us a Christian. Just as the same thing as sitting in a garage does not make you a car, coming into church does not make you a Christian. Okay? You know, I read my Bible every day. That would probably be a sign that you are likely to be a Christian, but it's not necessary to be a Christian to read your Bible every day. It could just be a habit. I read my Bible. You know, I could have been reading War of Peace. I could have been reading Shakespeare's plays, but I decided to read my Bible for every morning for a half hour, and that's my ritual. And it means nothing to you. It doesn't, doesn't change your heart. It's not doing you a bit of good. Now, I'd rather have you read your Bible than any other book, because God says his word does not return void, and it will get into your heart eventually. 
But just reading your Bible is not going to make you a Christian. Just praying all the time is not going to make you a Christian because you could be praying to the air, you could be praying to anything, you could be praying to any, any God, but you know, just praying is not going to mean you're a Christian. What makes us a Christian? Recognizing that we are a sinner deserving punishment and Jesus paid the debt. Jesus went to the cross voluntarily. I love what he told Pilate. Pilate says, you're not going to say anything to me. I have power of life and death over you. And then Jesus finally answers him. You'd have no power unless it was given to you. He went there voluntarily. Jesus was God. What was the Roman, the entire, what was the entire Roman Empire against him? If he had said, I'm not going to the cross, nobody was going to put him on that, on that cross because he could have just spoken. They'd all have died. He could have just spoke and they would have, and I have this picture of the, the angels were supposed to protect him and I could picture up in heaven, all the angels, Father, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, these guys are hurting, hurting you. We've been here for, you know, he, he's here forever, you know, why are you holding us back? And we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, he could have called whatever, 10 million angels. I mean, it didn't, all it takes is one to have you know, destroyed, you know, 183,000 Assyrians in one, in one night. Imagine if he had sent out all the angels of the world. Rome would have had no chance. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life for us and went to the cross. Before the cross, he took the beating. And we've talked about this usually every time we do the Lord's Supper. He took a beating, and we can't even imagine what the beating was. You know, I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out, and everybody was all upset about how bloody it looked and how bad it looked. And I went there expecting, you know, while everybody's griping about it, it's got to be looking like the real thing. It didn't look like the real thing. Now, they couldn't show the real thing on TV, it really, or, or movies. It would not be able to be shown, by, even by our ungodly standards, the true beating that Jesus took would not be able to be shown in a movie. These guys took pleasure in removing the flesh off of people when they, it was called scourging for a reason. When he got done, his back would have looked like hamburger. No flesh on there. After the beating, he got to carry his cross. Not a nice smooth cross like we show there. A rough wooden cross that would have drove splinters into his back as he's carrying it. Now splinters are bad enough when you have skin to go through. The pain he took. And then most criminals were not nailed to a cross unless you were the worst of the worst. You weren't nailed to the cross. You were usually tied to the cross and you would suffer for two to three weeks hanging on the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. That was reserved for the worst of the worst. That is the punishment that Jesus took. All because it said so in the book of Isaiah that this eunuch was reading and Peter, excuse me, Philip was able to come in and say, this is what happened. This is who the prophet's talking about. This just happened a month ago, two months ago, how, you know, three months ago, however long it's been. He goes, this fulfillment just happened and I'm sure you were just in Jerusalem. You heard about this one. Big news. Big news. You heard about this criminal. You heard about this one. This is who the prophet's talking about. And the eunuch gets saved. 
he decides, I want to know that God. I want to know him. We're told it's a simple thing to be a, be a Christian. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Philip actually says, you know, when the Ethiopian asks him, what, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip's answer was, if you believe. Now this belief is really a critical word for believe. It means to be persuaded of the truth. Not just, well, I believe something. You know, uh, you know I, I believe this or I believe that. You know, doesn't really mean anything to me. But I am persuaded. I know that I'm a Christian. I got saved when I was 10 years old. I know that I know that I know that I got saved when I was 10 years old. And there is nobody who can convince me that I'm not. Because I know. All right? There's other things that you know because you've gone through them. You've experienced it. When you experience something, you know that it's true. It doesn't matter whether people say, well, no, can't, it couldn't have happened. You know, think about Paul. Paul, on the road to Damascus, being blinded by a light and spoken to by God. All that the people that saw there with him, they saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice is what it said. And his testimony is, I heard a voice. And they're asking, well, did you hear the voice? Nope, didn't hear the voice. Paul, you must be crazy. And Paul's going, no, I heard the voice. It happened to me. I know that it's true. This is something that you need to be persuaded of. Jesus died for you and has covered your sins. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else believes. Matter of fact, you need to be careful when you look at this and you, some people go, well, I've just known so many bad Christians, there's no way I'm going to become a Christian. Well, that's a wonderful thing. It's a good defense while you're alive, but when you stand before God, he's not going to let that be your defense. He's going to say, I gave you testimony. You knew that what I did, and he's going to say, you're guilty. He's not going to say your excuses. Now, those Christians that are a bad example are going to pay a price. They're going to have to answer for their bad example. Now, they don't get away scot-free either. We as Christians need to live a life to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to be an example to God. We're not going to be perfect. There's always going to be somebody who's going to look at some aspect of our life and say, you were spoke too harshly, you were too unkind, you were not nice on that event, and this person is, you know, looked at that example. Okay, we're all going to have that guiltiness, and we need to repent and, and confess to God, but that can't be an excuse for them because there'll be somebody in their life that gave them a good example. And, but I've heard some people, well, you know, if you knew my dad, you'd know why, you know, he claimed to be a Christian and, you know, he was just mean and nasty and, and drank every weekend and beat us, you know, doesn't matter. God is not going to let that be an excuse for us. He says, this is the gospel. You are a sinner. You deserve punishment. Jesus died for your sins. And he's waiting to make us a child. And it's very important for that. This eunuch goes and says, here's water. This is another reason we know that the eunuch is a Jew. Gentiles do not automatically jump up and say, there's water, let's get baptized. All right. Remember, this was last week's message. Why do we have baptism is simply as a review, it shows that we're changing our way of life. All through the New Testament, you'll hear them ask, whose baptism were you baptized under? All right. It was common to the Jews to be baptized. 
And it was meant the same exact thing it does to us. You die to one way of thinking, and you come back to a new way of thinking. And when you changed a rabbi who had very different teachings, you would be baptized in that rabbi's name. Which is why it's important that we be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're changing the way of thinking to a new way of thinking, which is God's way of thinking. Which is also why once you've been baptized with, for Jesus Christ, you don't need to be baptized again. Because you're, you've made your agreement that you're going to live in a different, different way of thought. Now, if you're, going to have, if you're going to change from Christianity, go get baptized again. But <laughs> don't change. <laughs> you don't change. Uh, but this guy says, here's water. I'm ready to accept this new teacher. I'm ready to change the way I'm thinking. And then he just says, do you really believe? Do, are you fully persuaded of what I have told you? And the eunuch's answer was, yes, I believe. I am persuaded. Yeah. Where are we at in our lives? Are we really truly persuaded that God is who he says he is? Are we truly persuaded that God is God? And this is important for us to be able to understand. We will be tested. We will be tried. And when, we, when you choose to walk with God, all hell is going to break loose in your life because he, Satan does not like us following God. He is not going to let us go freely away from him. He is going to fight hard to keep us away. And once you're saved, you're saved, so all he can do is try to stop you from serving God. And I have known people that have stopped serving God. Now, whether they're saved or not, that's between them and God. They look like they're not saved. I treat them as if they're not saved and give them the gospel. But if they really meant what they said, it's, they're saved. Now, I've known people who have gone forward as a teenager and, why, and you talk to them and they go, well, I, I went up, said the prayer, I'm saved. You know, well, why'd you go up? Well, five of my friends went up, so I went up with them. They're probably not persuaded and, and truly believing. Now, I'm not going to say they aren't. That's between them and God. But they went up with your friends from peer pressure? Probably not. You know, but that's between them and God. Where are we with God? If you're saved, you're going to know you're saved because you cannot get away with anything because when you do a sin, God convicts you and says, ah, nope. Now, we can keep doing that sin and that conviction, that conviction can get lower and lower and less and less in our heart. And if you can, and I've said this over and over, if you can sin without feeling any conviction whatsoever from the God, you need to examine whether you're his child because I'm not able to get away with anything. Now, I may still do it, <laughs> You know, and still do often. But God comes in and says, why did you do that? What did you do that? You knew it was wrong. And you have to deal with that whole side of things. Here they go in, they baptize him. And I love this section right here. And it's something most people don't always catch. Verse 39 says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This word in here, when it says caught away, is the Greek word harpazo, which we translate in other tra versions, raptured. Peter, uh, Philip disappeared from the water. Disappeared from that spot on the, on the coastal road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And it says that he ended up, he was found in Az Azotos, which is modern day Ashdod, 
which is approximately 15 to 20 miles away, is where he went to. And people are well, do you really believe that God moved him? Yes, I really believe God moved him. You know, God's going to rapture his church out one day, so if he can do that, he, can move, he, he could have moved Philip from only 20 miles. He took Elijah off this face of the earth in an instant. He took Enoch off the face of the earth in an instant. How powerful is God? Powerful enough to do what he wants. <laughs> you know, he could move Peter, he could move Philip 15, 20 miles, depending on what part of the road he's at, but he moved him from the desert road to the to the coastal road. And just showed up there and it said that he and the verse goes on that and, and Philip preached as he went up the coastline back to back to Samaria, he preached to the cities. How disoriented was he? Yeah. Uh, well, hold it. I was just baptizing a guy. What am I, where am I, what am I doing? Yeah. Could you imagine just showing up someplace and having to figure out where you're at? You know, this is what happened on here. What do we know about the Ethiopian eunuch? He went away rejoicing. What do we know about Ethiopia when it was opened up to Christianity? It's an amazing thing when the first Christian missionaries from Europe went to Ethiopia, they were amazed that they found a Christian church in Ethiopia. I do not understand why they were amazed to find a Christian church in Ethiopia because the Ethiopian eunuch was a leader in Ethiopia. I would have expected a church there. They were amazed to find a church there. What does that tell us? Why, did, why was Philip told to go meet this eunuch? God wanted a church in Ethiopia that would still be there a millennia and a half later when the first missionaries got there to witness the gospel message to them. He had already preached the gospel message to that, to that country. What is the value of one soul? We don't know what that one soul. Nothing else are going to heaven. They get saved, they're going to heaven. They get saved, they're the Ethiopian eunuch that turns a nation to follow God. The power of one soul, a Joseph going to Egypt and becoming a slave and then becoming a prisoner under false charges, becoming number two in the nation to save the nations and especially his own family from starvation. The power of one person, one soul. A Daniel being carried into captivity and standing for God when, all, when it would make perfect sense to not stand up for God. You know, he's 500 miles away from home, never going home again. Why should, he, why should he care about following the diet of the Jews? And yet he says, I can't eat this food. Just give me vegetables and water. And God blesses that decision. You know, what is the value of one soul? Never underestimate the value of the person you're talking to. One person being saved can change an entire family. We've seen all kinds of stories of that nature where one person in the family gets saved and then brother and sister and mother and father and aunts and uncles and cousins and an entire generation of family gets saved because one person gets saved. You may be the one that actually just had a part in that. Share the gospel with people. Let them know because this is what's important. Eternity is in, at stake. And you know, we need to keep this in, in mind. In Ecclesiastes, we were talking about how death comes to all. You know, there is one sure thing that we're going to have, and that is that we're going to die at some point. That might be today, might be tomorrow, it might be 10 years from now, it might be three or four decades from now. 
We don't know when we're going to die, but unless Jesus comes and raptures us, before that we know we're going to die. And even when we're raptured, technically we are snatched away and given a glorified body, so we are dead in the flesh and alive in spirit. We know that death is coming to everybody. For those of us who are Christians, it's a wonderful experience because we get to go stand with the Father and, and for eternity, worshiping and sharing with him and have a glorified body and a perfect environment of love and peace and, and joy. And this will be as much as hell as we'll ever see. And I'm going to tell you, this world is not hell. As bad as we think it is sometimes, it is not hell. And this is, for us as Christians, this is as close to hell as we'll ever see. The sad part is, for those who are not Christians, this is as much heaven as they're ever going to see. Because when they die, they're cast into hell, which is a burning place in, in their conscience. Then, at the white throne judgment, they're taken out of hell, stood before God, condemned for eternity, and sent to the lake of fire for eternity. It is a serious thing for us not to share the gospel with people. Eternity is at stake. We have 100, 200, you know, let's say 200. We live a long time. Somehow somebody lived to 200 years. What is 200 years compared to all of eternity? The decision we make during this lifetime affects where we will spend eternity. It is critical that we make the right decision. Because I can tell you one thing, when people stand before the white throne judgment, all of a sudden they're going to be believers. You know, I, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I really want to believe it now. Too late. You're dead. It's appointed unto men to die. And after that, the judgment. Judgment's coming. For us as Christians, we will stand at his judgment seat as well. We will stand at the bema seat of Christ and have our works judged. What was the motive of our work? We did a lot of good things, but I wanted it to be seen by everybody and have, have everybody acknowledge me. Wood, hay, and stubble burnt up. Just serving God, letting him work through me, gems and rewards. Our judgment as Christians is not heaven or hell. Our judgments as Christians is for our rewards in heaven. I want so much to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into, my, into your reward. I'm, I want to hear that so much. I do not want to be at the white throne judgment, and I won't be because I know Jesus. Everybody standing at the white throne judgment is guilty. And at that judgment, they, you know, I hear people all the well, you know, when I stand before God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a piece of my mind, and I'm going to tell him all this, that, and the other. I go, when you stand before God, you're not going to say a word. When you stand in front of God, the perfect, righteous, holy God, you're not going to have a word to say and he's going to reveal to you every time that you rejected him. And you think about that. Even for us who got saved, how many times did we hear the gospel message before we responded? You know, those people standing on the white throne judgment are going to have God saying, I told you here, I told you here, I told you here, I told you here, you're guilty. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. We as Christians need to share the gospel. Those who don't know him, and I know we talk to all kinds of people on the internet and maybe even in this room, but if you don't know him, today's the day to accept him because you don't know that you have any other time left. All, all of us intend to get home, and some of you only have you know, 
three minutes to get home, you might not make it home. Now, that's not say scary, it's just the way it is. You might not even make it out the door. I mean, the possibilities are there. Today is the day to choose to follow God. And most of us will be here next week and the following week, and we'll be around for a lot longer yet, but that's not a guarantee at all. Today is the day. And it's a simple thing. If you don't know him, you just say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus paid that price. I ask him to come and dwell with me. Such a simple prayer, but it has to be said with absolute belief that, God, I know that I need this. I need you, God. And I just want to have you encourage you. If you don't know God today, pray that prayer and then talk to me about it. You know, if they're on the internet, they can email me. <laughs> you know, talk to a Christian, a fellow Christian about it. We're going to close here and get ready for the baptism. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will ask you into their heart and make you their Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's anybody out listening on the internet to this message, that they will today, the day that they hear it, ask you into their heart and then communicate that change of heart. And Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we ask you to bless this baptism to follow as we've got people that are going to show forth their love for you in a, in a straightforward way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.